mindfulness. It's a form of meditation. It's also becoming close to a billion-dollar industry in the United States. Lots of people are into the mindfulness, from corporate executives to individuals to championship sports teams like the Golden State Warriors and the Seattle Seahawks. But what can it really do for you? Can it help you make you more healthy? Today on Ask Dr. Gill, we're going to be talking about what mindfulness is and what health benefits it may have for you. So stay tuned. Okay, and welcome to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman, and as I said in the introduction, I wanted to talk about mindfulness and the benefits of mindfulness. And I want to also discuss some of the things that one needs to be able to do mindfulness. And I think that this is an important aspect for some people because we seem to think that mindfulness can be purchased. And really, I I don't know if it can. And I think that there are tools that can help us. But at the end of the day, it's not like going to the store and buying a pair of yoga pants. Mindfulness is a skill and um, it requires practice and patience. And as you develop it, your skill gets better. And, and there's been studies done on this. Uh, there's been studies done with Tibetan monks and their ability to invoke changes in their heart rate, their heart rate variability, their coherence, uh, the way that their brains work can change and they can do it in an instant, but they didn't develop this overnight. So, so first, let's start about what is mindfulness. And mindfulness is just a, a practice of being fully engaged in the moment and fully engaged in what you are, uh, are participating in at that time. And so uh, for, for many people, we will multitask. We'll be doing multiple things at the same time. We'll be talking on the phone and doing the dishes, or we'll be uh, brushing our teeth and thinking about uh, a meeting later in the day. Or we'll be going to bed and thinking about all the things that went wrong that day. And obviously, as you, as you kind of listen to these examples, I chose examples specifically that can be things that would distract us from our ability to maybe have certain benefits in our lives, whether it's, you know, brushing your teeth properly. Uh, I said washing dishes. Uh, you could be talking on a cell phone and, and eating a meal and, and you overeat because you eat so fast and you're not really paying attention to what you're, what you're doing, uh, to an inability to uh, be able to sleep and fall asleep properly because you're not thinking about, you're thinking about things as opposed to being in the moment of trying to fall asleep. So I think that these are aspects of of our lives that we've just become so busy and so busy-minded that something as simple as mindfulness can be so uh, liberating for many people. And I think that this is an important aspect of living that's important for many people. And I 
educate patients about this at times. So, you know, there are different techniques for this, and obviously there's different apps <laughs> for this. There's classes for this. And by the way, I, I think a class can be very helpful. I think a lot of apps can be very helpful. But at the end of the day, if you don't use them and you don't sort of reflect upon the learning, then they're not very useful, right? I mean, it's it's sort of like, uh, again, going back to the yoga pants, it's buying yoga pants and then wearing them to go shopping. That's not helping your yoga practice. And I think that for, for many people, uh, they they buy these applications or something and they the application becomes the distraction right so instead of watching Netflix you're maybe doing this app I don't know if it's any I mean it's probably better depending on what you watch on Netflix but I don't know if it really is bringing the benefits that are that are needed long term as far as things go so as far as mindfulness goes, as far as the technique, it's it's really about just paying attention to what's happening in the moment. And every time your brain drifts away, you bring it back to the task or whatever you're doing. So if you're, you know, if you're doing a sitting meditation, uh, the analogy I love, and I think it's from Jack Kornfeld, who writes a lot about Vipassana meditation, which is a, basically a simple meditation where you breathe and you watch your breath. He says it's kind of like uh, training a puppy to sit. And, you know, a puppy is going to, you're going to put the puppy, you're going to say sit, and the puppy's going to get up and walk away and you're going to put it back and you're going to put it back in the same location, say sit, and it might sit there for a little longer and it'll get up and you, you keep doing that. You know? And the same thing with our minds. We're going to be watching our breath, you know, maybe watching it. Um, I mean that figuratively, by the way. Uh, breathing in, and you count. Maybe you count, maybe you don't count. And you just sort of feel the flow of the air into, into your mouth, into your nose, rather. And then you, maybe you hold it, maybe you don't. And then you let it out, and you feel the the flow of air through your nostrils, and you do that a couple times, and you breathe in and out, and then you start thinking about, uh, maybe you start thinking about your day, uh, what do you need to do today, and, and, and then you just bring it back, and there's no judgment about this. You just kind of bring it back, and you refocus on, on your breathing, and then you start thinking about what happened yesterday, and, and you just bring bring your attention back. You realize it, and you bring it back. And, you know, I, I, I've had meditation sessions where I've gone 20 minutes and realized that I was thinking about something other than what my breathing was. <laughs> and, and I sort of lost track of, of what I was actually doing. I was sort of in this spinning off in something else. And for some people, sitting can be painful. You know, there's, a, there's an aspect of it that we find that um, our shoulders hurt or our, our back hurts or whatever it is. And we start to focus on that and maybe we start to move. And, uh, or maybe we have an itch and we start scratching that. You know? and, and many ashrams, the, 
the goal of the meditation is to not only keep your mind still, but to keep your body still as well. And so you feel an itch, and you you notice the itch, and you feel the intensity of the itch, and you just allow it to be there, and you don't do anything about the itch. You just allow it to be there. So that's kind of the the idea, in brief, behind what mindfulness is. And clearly you don't need a, a, an app to do it, and you don't necessarily need specific training, although, you know, I, I think maybe getting some is not a, a bad idea at the beginning for many people. And, you, you know, you certainly don't need special clothes for it. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how there's all this products. I mean, it, the, the number I saw, there was an article in New York Times uh, about a week, week and a half ago. It, the name of the article is The Hidden Price of Mindfulness, Inc., and kind of the author's idea is, is that are we losing something by commercializing this, this concept? And in effect, mindfulness is about letting go, about non-attachment. And here we are creating a market around, you know, non-attachment. So we're creating goods and services around, you know, we're around something that there's nothing. So, and I think it's an interesting article and worth a read and kind of understanding how we can take something too far, you know. The other aspect about mindfulness, as opposed to straight meditation, is it can be done at any particular time of the day uh, with any activity. So you could be driving and paying attention to your reactions to, you know, the traffic and feeling like you're going to be late or stuck you know, somewhere, or you can do it while washing dishes, um, or brushing your teeth. And it doesn't matter what the activity is, it's, it's about being present in the moment, and noticing any judgments you may have, or discomfort, and not judging it, and whatever that is. And I think that there's aspects of this that have great benefits for physical and mental health. And I want to talk about those in the second part of this program. So we're going to talk about that. Hold, stay tuned, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Gill. I'm Dr. Gill Winkleman. So before I jump into some of the health benefits of mindfulness, uh, I do want to bring up an issue that I wrote about, and it's on my blog. Uh, If you check out askdrgill.com, A-S-K-D-R-G-I-L.com slash blog, B-L-O-G, there's an article, you can even search it on meditation and anxiety. And oftentimes people who are really anxious have trouble with meditation. For some people it can be very helpful, but for other people it can be uh, 
I don't want to say detrimental, but it can actually enhance the anxiety. And I have some suggestions there, and I highly recommend reading that if you tend towards anxiety, because I think that even a mindfulness practice and being in the moment can heighten that that intense feeling, uh, you know, under certain circumstances. And so paying attention to some of the things that you can do might help you not have quite as much of a, of a blowback, as it were, in that situation. And, and given the numbers of anxiety in America, which is really high, it's almost 20%, um, you know, I, I feel a need to say something about that. So um, that being said, anxiety is one of the things that can benefit from um, mindfulness. And there have been uh, studies done, and there's one that came out a few years ago that showed that uh, a group mindfulness treatment session can be as effective as a cognitive behavioral therapy uh, in terms of treating patients with depression and or anxiety. So that's a pretty big deal, and this is part of the reason that mindfulness is being introduced in many healthcare settings. So I want to go through a list of some of the aspects in terms of healthcare that we see benefits based on, you know, for mindfulness uh, showing up. So uh, for, for one thing, I mentioned anxiety. Uh, they've actually found that mindfulness-based stress reduction therapies can decrease PTSD symptoms amongst uh, veterans. And it doesn't matter what their uh, uh, severity, you know, was when they went in. On average, uh, there's been modest improvement of PTSD symptoms for, you know, in, in the, that situation. Uh, but, you know, the, the interesting thing uh, about the mindfulness is, so we've seen that mindfulness-based therapy can help, uh, you know, depression and anxiety and a moderate, you know, boost in terms of, um, you know, PTSD, like I mentioned, what we're seeing, though, is that there's actually physical improvements that show up as well. And so uh, so for patients with MS, for example, uh, you know, their quality of life of an MS patient improves using mindfulness techniques. Now, that may be related to the better depression, anxiety, that, you know, improvements that I just mentioned. So that could be part of that. But Here's the thing that's really interesting. In, a re in several recent studies, they're finding that uh, mindfulness can help reduce the risk of uh, heart disease and obesity in and type, type 2 diabetes uh, in, in multiple people as well. So that, that's interesting. And, and you sort of look at that and you think, well, you know, particularly um, some of the study was done around uh, mindful eating. So in other words, you, you basically teach mindfulness in the context of, of eating food. And so you look at that and you think, well, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and, and obesity, you're eating a lot, too much, maybe too fast, not digesting your food. That, that actually makes sense. Mindful eating can be a very important aspect of improving 
uh, outcomes in, in, in those diseases, right? And this is one of the reasons that I talk to patients about. I find that they will benefit in many cases, particularly the people that come to me, from better eating habits as opposed to what they're eating. So, and for those of you who don't know Portland, Oregon, uh, for the most part, we are a fairly healthy town. I mean, there's definitely people out there who are eating lots of sugar, candies and sodas and McDonald's all the time and so forth. But the people who come to see me generally are eating pretty well. And the diet changes that I help them with are more tweaks. That's not to say that I don't have people that come in and I'm revamping their diet. I don't start there, but generally we're making tweaks. And so one of the the big tweaks that I find shows great improvement is mindful eating. So so that's kind of the aspect of that. And you, you look at that and you go, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, everything else. Um, and, and the extension to that is that everyday mindfulness has been linked to healthier glucose levels. So uh, it could be, again, related to uh, what I just talked about in terms of eating. But some of this was done not so much around uh, mindful eating. It was just doing a mindfulness practice. So the, the thought process here could be that it spilled over uh, into the, the everyday habits, right? Um, the th- one that came out just recently that maybe is saying there's something else going on here is that uh, the use of mindfulness-based training has helped for chronic low back pain. Now that's an interesting one, and that's one that doesn't fit as well into those. The research study showed that people who did mindfulness over the course of 26 weeks, so half a year, found improvement at that at the end of that versus people who didn't do it, and it was a significant improvement in terms of their low back pain. Now, it could just be that they're able to tune out the pain, right? So remember at the beginning, I was talking about uh, meditation in general. And one of the things that comes up for people is just when you sit, you're paying attention to your breath for a little bit, and then this fly lands on you, and you're kind of wanting to shoo it away, and you move. And the idea behind this is is that, you know, you're, you're kind of moving into this place of just ignoring that fly and still staying with the breath. And the same thing happens when you have, when you sit for a long time like that, you will, most people will have some sort of discomfort in sitting and you learn to ignore it. And, you know, it can take months to learn that skill appropriately and properly. And so uh, it could be that the pain hasn't actually diminished, but one's relationship to the pain has changed. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, many people struggle with is not necessarily the pain itself, but the judgment around the pain. And sometimes I notice that with patients uh, as they get better uh, from, from, say, a, a traumatic brain injury, they, they will complain to me that they f- still feel like they're not quite back to where they were. And, and I can empathize with them. I mean, I, I, I get it. 
having had multiple head injuries myself, you know, it, it, it sort of feels that way at times. But they, what they lose sometimes is they forget how much improvement they've had. And so I think sometimes the mindfulness and just being in the moment takes you away from that aspect. And by the way, this is just my theory on this. I have no idea. Um, your guess is as good as mine. But the important thing is, is that we're seeing that there is improvement in terms of, of low back pain and physical discomfort with mindfulness. And we're also seeing that it takes time. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that you do two minutes a day on an app and then suddenly you have these great improvements. It's a practice that you need to cultivate. And I think that really is the takeaway as far as uh, mindfulness goes and working with mindfulness in, you know, as far as the health outcomes go. So I would, I would invite you to try mindfulness even if it's for just you know, 15 minutes a day of, of paying attention, uh, whether it's eating or you sit and you meditate, whatever it is that you do, uh, I'm, I'll invite you to try that and see over the next course of months how, how your, you know, your brain and your reactions to the situation improve and, and just sort of um, watch yourself without judgment. And So in any case, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, please, if you have questions or comments, send them to info, I-N-F-O, at askdrgill.com. And as well as, uh, there's a mailing, a newsletter uh, that I put out that I send emails to, and you can sign up for that on my website, askdrgill.com. And if you like this show and you like what I'm doing, uh, please leave a review on iTunes. It's really, really helpful and to get more listeners out there. I know I've been growing the audience slowly and uh, the, the reviews definitely help uh, and, and the feedback helps as well. So thanks so much for listening. Take care. I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.